coming up on Art Palace. A large number of people, what they want to ask somebody that works in a, you know, in a job like this that implicitly says photography is art is, why is photography art? Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Nathaniel M. Stein, Associate Curator of Photography. Um, so I've already preemptively turned your mic as far up as it will go. <laughs> as I was, um, listening, as we were in here meeting the other day, I was already like planning, recording you. I'm like listening to you and going like, okay, so I'm gonna need to turn this mic up as much as I can. I am a well-known soft talker. <laughs> this is going to be our ASMR, uh, episode. Awesome. You know about that? Like the people who have yeah. like watch like YouTube videos of people crinkling cellophane and stuff and, and speaking like this. Yes. And Folding towels. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if we did that, we'd probably, it'd be, I, I should label it as such. And then we'll get like, there would be so many more hits. It's I true. know. It would be a major YouTube <laughs> sensation. I know it'd be our, 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 our biggest, uh, biggest hit so far i mean it's obvious like what the big what people really want which is ghost stories i could do that in a, in a soft-spoken voice yeah ghost, ghost stories <laughs> in a soft-spoken voice Good all work all of our ghost episodes have been like immediately way more successful than all the rest and then people continue to listen to them way past like halloween and it's just always every month i look and i go oh the ghost ones get tons of hits well russell we should talk about spirit photographs Oh, it's a major 19th century that's genre. That's true. Oh. See, we figured out. Okay, and then I can hashtag it like ghost photos and stuff. And then real, true ghost photos, real. ectoplasm, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I love those where there's like, like cheesecloth coming out of people's nose and stuff. And yes. I love those pictures. Those are so great. So I was curious how. I mean, have you always been into photography, or what? Where did that start? Like, where did you? become interested in this this world um no i didn't actually know it when i started studying art history which i studied i studied i started studying art history as an undergrad actually it was the first my first semester at college um kind of on a whim mm -hmm. since i had never had art history before i, I registered for art history 101 which was a bold move because it met at like nine o'clock in the morning so you know right there it was a self-selecting crowd um, but i didn't i had almost no experience my family was like a science family Okay. So I went to museums when I was growing up, but they were science museums. Um, and I immediately loved it. I found it completely transfixing. I was there bright and early, nine o'clock, Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays, uh, and sections and the whole nine yards. It would be great um, if the class didn't start till 11. No. <laughs> I was My whole nine. life story would be different. Yeah. <laughs> um, there would be way more art historians also. They taught those classes later in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I, I got really interested. Well, I was interested in a lot of things, but I got especially interested in architecture. So okay. I actually started out as an architectural historian, and I was interested in modern European architecture, but also the medieval period in Europe. 
And so I did a lot of work as an undergrad on like medieval cathedrals. Mm -hmm. I actually went to France one summer and did like an archaeological uh, dig on a, a former monastic site, like a monastery in, mm -hmm. outside of Paris. Um, and it was really through the process of, of having the opportunity to go to some of the places, some of the buildings and some of the sites that I've been studying that I then started to realize although buildings are fantastic and I still love <laughs> buildings when I was sitting in that classroom in the dark and at, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, listening to my professors, you know, speak in this incredibly erudite way about these buildings and just sort of being transported by the visual aspect of that. It wasn't, it was the photographs that I was looking at projected in the lecture hall that mm. I was really responding to. And I came to understand that a photograph is not the same thing as the building. It's a, it's a complete transformation of the building into a, you know, a two-dimensional image, which is what I was responding to. And so that was really sort of my first, I only realized this later, of course, but that was <laughs> my first, maybe my first moment when I really understood how different photographs are from the real world, um, that they are not just you know, exactly equal to what you see when you open your eyes um, or, or as you move through the world, and, and um, how compelling I found them. Yeah. When, you know, especially certain pieces, uh, you know, sculptural works, we, we always have to credit the photographer of the sculpture. Right. It's a, it's a, to it's a field. You know, yeah. How to photograph things in the way that is true to what the object is or what the site is, because obviously that kind of using the camera to document in that way, like you are trying mm -hmm. to convey information about what you're photographing. Right. But I sort of challenge you to find any architectural photographer or, you know, art a photographer of artworks mm -hmm. that doesn't think a lot about the image that they are making themselves, yeah. you know, and what it's, what it's characteristic. Well, yeah, are. I mean, it's, it's, it is it, like you're saying it is, even when we're looking at a photograph of a painting, it is not the painting. No. And so, so much, it's like, there are always these invisible choices. I think that's one where, um, it's extra invisible because, you know, we're still looking at this two dimensional thing, but you know, so much is done to try to make sure we see the object as right. it best is. And yeah. you know, it's like, it's never going to be exactly the same thing. No, it's not. And well, for many reasons, but because you're not standing in front of the object and the object has its own presence, but yeah. also right. Because paintings are two dimensional, but also they're kind of not because you that's true. Strokes yeah. <laughs> and all those, all those wonderful aspects of painting. Um, yeah, but it's really fascinating. But yeah, even like the, the way, you know, a photo captures a certain kind of like range of light, mm -hmm. um, is going to vary, you know, from photograph to photograph and the way the photographer has chosen to, uh, capture this object that changes all of those things. Okay. Russell, yes. in the first like five minutes of this conversation, we've now arrived at like the fundamental question that I am asked. Like if anybody, if you just... If you could submit an anonymous question, I feel like a large number of people, because I am asked this question often, yeah. a large number of people, what they want to ask somebody that works in a, you know, in a job like this that implicitly says photography is art, right. is why is photography art? Yeah. Okay, because we can all do it and we all have cameras. We all make pictures all the time. Why are these pictures? Why should we consider photographs art? So what you just, I mean, what you just started talking about is like where you start Mm -hmm. The answer to that question is that there is nothing about a photograph that doesn't result from a choice. Yeah. Right? And every single one of those choices. It's, I know we all have phones. Many of us have phones that we could take out of our pockets and make a picture at any time. And it makes it feel like it's a completely automatic 
no process where there aren't a lot of decisions and it's all about a machine mm -hmm. just recording an image of the world. But the machines we have in our pockets are designed to make it feel that way. Yeah. All of the decisions are sort of programmed in. Mm -hmm. But actually, there is nothing. Even, even those machines, like somebody made the decision, some programmer made the decision, how should a photograph look? Yeah. And now I'm going to write the code that makes it look like that. A photograph is there's nothing automatic about it. It's it's decisions of the product of decisions from beginning to end. Right. Well, and the biggest decision, I mean, and in, in if we're talking about like just a snapshot, you know, like this sort of camera photograph that most people make, um, taking it away from like kind of documenting art objects in buildings is is just you know, and and I guess going to buildings and things uh, still, but it always does interest me to look at the the number one choice that people are always making with a photograph is what is and isn't in the photograph, right? Right, the frame. Like, yeah. what, what, why is this thing, why does this make the cut and why does this right. not make the cut? Right. And that's usually, like, says a lot about the person's intent really quickly. Yeah. Um, that's something I always notice. And I, I'm always, I do find that actually when you're looking at people's photographs, you know, you're just scrolling through people's Instagram feeds. It's very fun for me to read the choices they make mm -hmm. and what that says about them. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually thinking about, so we're doing uh, collection rotations. We have, we're going to, we're going to do a whole series of collection rotations that kind of let us get wonderful things out from storage and show people things that they haven't seen for a while or maybe ever. Um, and so, Every one of these is, it needs to have some kind of idea that holds it together other than just these are great things that we have yeah. in our storage, although that's also a perfectly legitimate <laughs> thing to do. Um, neat stuff. Not, yeah, neat, totally. Um, I'm thinking about one that's actually about the frame, mm -hmm. like the frame of the photograph, and what th thinking about bringing out a group of pictures that, that actually invite you to think about that, you know, mm -hmm. how photographers use the edge of the picture and what's in it and what's outside it and how it falls over the world. Yeah. That sort of... Uh, invites you to kind of brings together a group of pictures that make that come to the forefront more mm -hmm. than since a lot of pictures um, sort of part of what they do is that you they don't ask you to think about that they feel very natural a lot of times in the way that they're framed so you don't think oh what's over there that I can't see or why is the edge of that frame falling in the middle of that tree or whatever you know? yeah uh, but sometimes people use the frame in this very active way right That's, that becomes part of the picture I mean, I guess obviously if you, you are in your career, <laughs> in your job title right now, you have to believe that photographs are art. Um, but was there ever a time when you didn't or didn't think of them that way? Or was that moment when you saw, you finally realized that what you were attracted to was the photograph, was that kind of one of those moments that pushed it into that? Um, I mean, I don't remember as a child, like when I had this, I don't remember my specific. <laughs> really? You didn't no. do that? Like just sit in your room as a child and I was kind of what, like that as a child. Is, that sounds like something art? that I would have done as a child, but I don't <laughs> specifically remember that. Yeah. Um, that afternoon of navel gazing. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I don't, it's funny that you say that as a curator, curator of photography that I must necessarily believe that yeah. photography is art because obviously there is, there is a great deal of photography that is clearly to me art it's, it's produced with that intent or right. it, it is fulfilling that intent after the fact in some way but i am not actually i i think it might be more sort of for the benefit of my audience that i would have to say you know photography is definitely always art because there are many times when photography is not art and it's a terrific medium in that way and that it doesn't 
it doesn't always have to make that claim about itself. It doesn't, you know, not all photography is made to be art and not all photography is made in an artful way. Um, sometimes photography is made in a not artful way and it's art. So it's, it's never, <laughs> it's not that clear. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about, I don't really feel the necessity to make it that clear because one of the great things about photography is that it is um, very hard to define. Yeah. It's very hard to sort of put in an envelope that way. It's a lot of things. So one thing that, you know, when I get to talking about this whole subject is, um, it's, it's sometimes it just strikes me that no, no, you know, if you had a, you know, a, one of my colleagues, like a painting curator in this room, someone that deals with painting as their subject area, you're not going to ask them, um, well, what about house painting? Right. Like, is that art? You know, no, obviously it's not, it's not, it's not thought of as something that's part of their purview, but that doesn't, um, cause us to question whether fine art painting is art. Right. But with photography, people somehow don't have that same kind of perspective on it. because It's like because there are many photographs that are made that are not intended to be art or made in an artful way, then we, you know, we're sort of not sure about the rest of it. Yeah. So, which I think is kind of interesting. Well, and we, and even we kind of, I mean, I could, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we've even collected things that were not made in that sort of artful way, Absolutely. but that have significance. And we feel like, well, these are important images mm -hmm. and they're, culturally historically significant so we yes, want them totally but again it's that thing like th this was not made with the intention of being displayed in a gallery or museum totally. or any of those things yeah and i i've i recently bought some of that you know it's that's <laughs> definitely and that's one of the reasons again why i love photography collections because we don't put ourselves in that's quite the same kind of box um there are many things that are you know collected in art museum collections you know, photographs that were made for scientific purposes or photographs that were made for, you know, clearly documentary purposes um, that either have later come to have some kind of important role to artists or in art, or they, they never have. And we're, we were curi curious about the way that, you know, the way those look um, kind of has this overlap with a look that we think about as an artistic look or... Um, in some cases, it's just really about the history of the medium right? mm -hmm. that, you know, as a photo collection, I'm, I, I'm speaking, I feel like our collection needs to speak to the history of the medium, which is more than the history of art photography. There right. are other things in there too. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's sort of like a, it's a question that is often, um, it's something you think about a lot when you're thinking about what you what you want in your collection, what you should acquire. Where you know everyone has limited resources in terms of what you can have and what you can store. So it's a question that you end up thinking about quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I think this whole like debate and the kind of idea you know that about photography and art is what I've kind of I've ended up talking about several times on here is just this idea of like work ethic too. Mm. That I think that's one of those hurdles that people have a hard time getting over is the idea that and in a lot of people's minds, I think they want to be able to see the work somebody mm -hmm. has done. Right. And if there's anything where that's a little less visible or maybe there isn't as much, you know, to me, it's not, that's not necessarily as important when I look at something that I'm right. not really worried about. Like, well, it's not a, this many hours in equals art kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's some kind of understanding of, um, labor, the labor yeah. that goes into the object and also, um, the manual skill, technical right. skill, which I think is a different, 
um, that actually, um, I mean, there's different schools of thought about that within the photography world also. I mean, there are people who place tons of emphasis on really, really fine darkroom work, yeah. which is absolutely a manual skill, like how you manipulate, a, you know, let's just say a gel and silver print in a darkroom. You can do that in a pretty shoddy way and still get a gel and silver print, or you can do that in a completely amazing, masterful way and get this object that is, you know, has these kinds of beauty that will just stop you in your tracks if you, you know, if you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, again, it's just, you know, look at contemporary art in general. I mean, there's things that take a lot of effort to make and there's things that are really about an idea. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think not all people, but many people are willing to count both as art. Yeah. What's also just making me think about like where photography has gone and, and just the like advances in technology and things. It seems like so much of also the way we read images and it sounds like you're kind of coming from this angle already was is just like about the idea of a photograph uh, being authentic mm. and that idea and like how. But then, you know, it uh, from the start, it isn't like you're even kind of saying about the idea of the the photograph is not the thing mm -hmm. you know um but then to add on in sort of the ways computers have affected that idea of authenticity too is it seems like we're now having to look at photographs in a very different way too where the way even just traditional darkroom manipulation has gone even farther and we don't necessarily trust photographs in, in the same way i think we used to um yeah i don't know i think i'm not sure about that I think we still trust them in this sort of foolish way that we always have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it was just as foolish before as it is right. now. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at you know, sort of the history of the ways that photographs actually can be manipulated and have been manipulated since the very beginning of photography, I mean, the idea that it's a true thing has always been more a matter of faith than fact. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, you were mentioning before, uh, earlier about ectoplasm and mm -hmm. spirit photographs. Yeah, that's real like... ectoplasm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Are you... yeah. <laughs> that's it. You're, you're just a, a true believer in that. Of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> it's a photograph of it. I don't know what more evidence you need. <laughs> there it is. I can see through that person. Look yeah. at that. That must be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but the other thing that what you just said made me think about is that um, the photograph isn't, it isn't the thing in most cases. Yeah. Except for that there's a lot of interesting work um, being done, I'll say now, but I don't think it's isolated now. It's been going on for a while. That actually does, it sort of confuses that idea that the photograph is not the thing because photographs are a thing. Right. It's a, you know, if you print, if you have a photographic print, it's a piece of paper yeah. with some chemicals on it, right. um, which is a thing, <laughs> you know, it is its own thing. And then there's, you know, there's artists that explore that thing mm -hmm. in this really amazing way. Like what are, what are the qualities of this piece of paper with color on it or with, you know, black and white areas on it? Who's somebody you're thinking of when you're, you're talking about that? Like um, there's a lot that. of artists working like that right now. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I've, I've, worked with, um, I did a project about Wolfgang Tillman some years ago. And so he always comes to mind and I think he's really, um, extremely intelligent about, you know, about the way that he 
engages with with that sort of set of problems. But that you know it goes from there to a whole bunch of sort of I would say it's not younger is not really the it's not really an issue of age, but let's just say <laughs> people that are more at the early in the earlier stages of their career. I mean, yeah. I was just in Cleveland this past week looking at uh, work by an artist called Jerry Birchfield, who I thought was fantastic. Um, and he's exploring kind of some of those same issues of what, how, where does photography sort of conjoin with objectness? Mm -hmm. The fact that the photograph is an object that has this special and weird relationship to the real world. Mm -hmm. um, so from there to Wolfgang Tillmans and a whole range of people in between are working. I mean, there's galleries that kind of even specialize in, in um, showing work by artists that are kind of working in that space. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, just, again, thinking of our sort of relationship to, to photographs on a more personal level, it's, that's maybe a, set, a thing that we're also losing a little bit is that like idea of personal photographs as objects too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of, I do sort of think about, you know, being at my like grandmother's house and having, there's like a big box full right. of just like messy photos. Right, just right like, next to the tin of buttons. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that there's things that you would like pick up and hold and have a real presence and, and, that, and a particular scale to them as well. Yeah. Um, that's maybe now I don't even think about photos in that way, you know, like okay, but okay. in, so in my so, personal life. Yeah. You know. So okay, you're, you're ruining all my exhibition ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm also, this is, this is also, it's a big sort of topic. Like what is the relationship between this sort of personal relationship between a photograph and a, and a human being? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, on, on one side of that, like set of ideas, there's um, the, you know, the notion that we don't, handle photograph we don't have photographic prints and then we don't do albums you know that you would page through you don't really usually have pictures in your wallet anymore if you have a wallet right um so yes there's this difference like there's this lack of physical interaction but there's a lot of different ways you can talk about that um when you pull out your phone and look at pictures on your phone it's a warm object that you're holding <laughs> in your hand that you're manipulating with your finger it yeah. sort of lives next to your body all day and it has in there digitally or not digitally your photographs. Mm -hmm. That is a physical relationship. It's just a different one yeah. in its character than it is to hold a piece of paper. Yeah. But it's a new kind of physical relationship that we have with photographs. And weirdly, um, so when you go all the way back to the beginning of the history of photography, you have daguerreotypes, which are pictures on a piece of metal, which people would hold and you know cherish and mm -hmm. sometimes have next to their bodies and now we have these other pieces of metal that we have <laughs> our pictures in and hold and keep next to our bodies so there's this weird kind of it's totally different yet we haven't really gotten that far yeah from, from the beginning i wonder too if like our even that 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 way we've i i hadn't really thought about this until this very moment but i feel like in the before we all just sort of went to looking at our personal photographs on our phone as like, mm -hmm. that's the primary way you look at them. Right. Um, even in the kind of like digital camera uh, beginnings, I feel like everyone would still make, they were much more common to make prints. prints yeah. And I wonder if that's also has something to do with like the fact that the display on those cameras was just a little too small. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, also you're saying like the connection with the object, it's like not quite as practical, but if a phone is usually actually about the same size, we would have a, a personal print, just right. a little smaller so maybe, are, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a, you know, 
you know, five, you know, five inch uh, yeah. size or, you know, you have these bigger phones that are like a slightly larger, you know, so it makes well, sense actually too, that the scale totally. is about right. And I think, I mean, I'm by no means an expert in this, but like, I think that's why, you know, people at Apple are geniuses right, because right. they've designed this object Yeah, <laughs> that you know, it, is, it is about your, you know, your personal interaction with technology and that it feels like this you know, incredibly connected personal mm -hmm. thing. I'm not making an Apple commercial. <laughs> but but if they want to send us free things <laughs> yeah. like um, 953 in Park Avenue. Yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> the mailroom is accepting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, are, you had some things you wanted to look at today. Yeah. And... I realized that whenever we do these curator episodes, they're actually the exact opposite of all my other episodes where I never tell anyone what they're about to go look at. Um, I just spring it on them and make them react oh, to it. Okay. Um, so, so the curator is, ones yes, are the I'm opposite. I'm spring it on you. Yeah. 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 You, you get to, to decide what I'm going to look at okay. and I have to be the, the, the person who's wandering blindly into it. Okay. Well, that seems strangely appropriate for a museum program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Okay. You've got a bunch of stuff here. Is there any sort of unifying? Uh... Well, kind of. So um, like newly arrived at a job. Okay. And thinking about acquiring things. And it's like, you can't, you, you're never going to be able to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish, period, mm -hmm. the entire time that you work here. But um, especially, you know, you can't front load it all into the first <laughs> five to six months that you're yeah. here. But I definitely have given some thought to, you know, what do you want your first actions or what have you to, to say? Like, yeah. You know, um, and I think I have a history as a 19th century person, um, and I think it is important for photographic collections like ours at an encyclopedic museum to pay attention to history mm -hmm. as well as to what's happening now in photography because the two are actually very intimately related yeah. to each other. Um, so I, I mean, in the, you know, I've bought sort of from the very beginning of photography to something that was made last year Okay. in the first couple of months that I've been here. And so the things that I pulled out um, are from that early group of stuff. So I try, I actually, the way I guess I would put this together, why I purchased these particular things, um, I mean, part of it has to do with um, areas where we could get stronger as a collection. Yeah. Um, but also it's about, I think it's a group of objects that kind of speak to dreams that people had for photography at the very, very beginning of the medium, which are in, in most cases still with us mm -hmm. as sort of hopes and dreams that we have for photography. But I wanted to get um, a number of sort of distinguished things that talk to how that looked at the beginning. Yeah. So um, there's two daguerreotypes here. Um, this one was made in 1843 or 1844 in Egypt. Um, and this is one of the earliest surviving photographs of Egypt. Wow. Which is now here in Cincinnati which I'm very pleased about. <laughs> um, it's also, um, we're pretty sure now the earliest photograph in our collection. Oh, wow. So this is sort of like a new high point for us to add to our, any other high points that we have. You said 1840? 43. 43. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is crazy. 
Yeah, so, so it's just like, a, do you know, it, this is a temple? It's Karnak. It's a picture of, okay. of uh, Karnak. Okay. Maybe describe uh, a daguerreotype for those who don't know um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. what that means. So um, it's a photograph on a piece of metal. So the image is actually on the surface of a very highly polished piece of metal. Um, it's a silver plated uh, piece of copper um, in most cases. So um it looks, if you look at it sort of straight on, it behaves almost like a mirror. Yeah. So you see yourself looking into a piece of metal, but if you are able to sort of tilt it a little bit and get some, you know, 45 degree kind of raking light and conditions yeah. are right, this magically precise, um, amazingly detailed image is carried on that piece of metal. Yeah. So, um, and it's, you know, if you, um, you know, I'm, I'm picking it up. So <laughs> this is part of the perks of my job. Um, <laughs> It's heavy. Yeah. Okay, so they have this, it's, you know, the, the metal is, is uh, this particular kind of uh, daguerreotype is encased between two pieces of glass. There's a sheet mm -hmm. of glass on the front and a sheet on the back. And there you can see the copper plate. So the front of it is silver plated and the back of it isn't. Um, so it's heavy and it has this great sort of sense of tactility as an object. And even, even when they weren't, this is sort of an unusual way to, this one is just a piece of metal between two pieces of glass and it's got tape around the edges. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of an unusual way to present them. So we have another one here that's more usually the way that you would see right. them, which is inside this leather case that opens up like a clamshell. Yeah. It has these wonderful, um, sometimes velvet, this one is silk, um, yeah. pads uh, inside inside the case oh. that really make it feel precious and wonderful. This is a, also an early daguerreotype from the 1850s. This is a shop front in New Jersey. Um, and this... Uh, is a special thing for us because it's, although you wouldn't gather that from these particular objects, but it's kind of unusual for a daguerreotype to be outside and unposed. Um, you tend to see portraits, right. portrait images of people who are sitting in a very kind of staid way inside a portrait studio, lit carefully. Yeah. They sort of look like they're dead a lot of times yeah. because of you know the length of time it takes to make the image and because it's a very sort of formal um, process. Right. Um, but daguerreotype photographers also took their cameras out into the world. And so with a picture like this, where you just see this sort of group of local people assembled on this porch of a general store in New Jersey in the early 1850s with some horses um, and a bunch of kids um, and some signage, which you can actually read if you get up there close enough, it's talking about what's on sale at the store. Um, you get this sense of like just everyday life, mm -hmm. which is very unusual to see in a daguerreotype. Yeah, since it's outside and it's sunny, were they able to keep the shutter open for really just a pretty short period of time? Like, how long would that probably be? Do you think? Um, by the 1850s, um, they're, they're actually, it's not a shutter. Actually, it's kind of it's hard to think of photography without a without shutter. a shutter. Yeah, it's just taking the lens cap off. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Um, by the 1850s, with the sort of where chemistry was at that time in bright light, it probably wasn't a very long exposure. It could have been, you know, a matter of seconds. Right. Um, and you can kind of see that because the horse shuffled a little bit. Yeah, that's why I was noticing a little bit of blur on the horse. Yeah. But you know, it's not for for a horse. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good for a pretty, horse. Pretty good job, yeah. horse. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so these two really special, um, wonderful things, and this one in particular. I mean, we're talking the Egypt one in particular. I mean, we're talking about. Somebody who learned photography potentially from Daguerre, the inventor of photography, wow. at the very, very beginning of photography, period. Right. And within like two or three years was on this voyage to Egypt with right. all of his gear and his metal plates and his glass 
sheets and all these things and was you know which was a pretty difficult trip to make at yeah the time, whether you're hauling a ton of camera equipment or not right um and you know comes back with with an image like this and like i said there were two people that went a tiny bit earlier than this guy but none of those pictures survived so the ones that he made in Egypt are the earliest pictures, the earliest photographs that we have of Egypt. And, and now we have one in Cincinnati. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. When I think also about pictures like this, um, this is kind of telegraphing some other things that I recently bought. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, you could put this in the gallery next to a picture um, of the moon when people first went to the moon and took right. photographs. And there is like this wonderful relationship between these people at the sort of intrepid edge of what is possible with a mm. camera. You know, they're out there with a camera. Um, and I may do that. Well, and it definitely also seems to be on that line that we were talking about a little bit of, of intentional like art, or is it just about documenting this thing? I mean, what do you think the, the artist intended? Were they thinking of it in that way? Or is it more about just like, I need to document right. this and this has never been done before. Okay. Right. Well, so what I'm, I mean, it's both and that's like, the cool thing about mm -hmm. uh, photographs like this. So what, what I said about sort of this, the dream at the beginning of photography, like when, when photography was actually announced in 1839, people got up in front of a, you know, a body of statesmen and scientists in France and talked about, we have this technology and sort of said a whole bunch of things about what a person might do with it, like why it is a great thing. Yeah. Um, which if you think about it, it's not necessarily obvious <laughs> you know, like what, we have this now, whatever right. we do with it. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that they talked about at that time is um, we could send cameras out to places like Egypt where scientists and scholars are trying to study, um, you know, history through, through the remains of what is there. Mm -hmm. And we could either send people out to make very careful drawings for, you know, decades right. and get a small fraction of the information of what is there, or we could send someone with a camera and bring back that information in, in you know, highly focused detail yeah at a much more rapid pace yeah um and so that is in part what this gentleman is doing in egypt um, so yes there is that but this is always like you scratch the surface in the 19th century of a photographer who's doing a, a sort of dark documentation imagery like this he's also a, a painter mm -hmm. um and you know he had been painting sort of antiquities and, and sites in in egypt and other places before he was photographing them so you know, you look at this picture, you look at this, this sort of deep cast shadows that, that sort of work around the foreground in a way that's very similar to the way a print, a, you know, a, a reproductive print would work. Mm -hmm. um, there is very clearly an artistic intelligence. It's not like he just, you know, showed up with a camera and plonked it down wherever he could. When you're making a photo like this, though, do you have any sort of, is it, imprecise of where the edges that where the frame exactly is is it something of a guessing game for them i mean obviously they know where it's pointed but how they wouldn't have a do they have a viewfinder or something to kind of help um, with that or no it is a little bit it's a little bit of knowledge of your instrument right of yeah of, of what is going to be on that right at this at this stage yeah um later on there are cameras where you can see the image kind of projected on you know the this sort of ground glass back of the camera right. before you put the light sensitive, whatever, whether it's a piece of film or right. you know, glass plate or whatever in there. Um, but at this stage, it's, I think it's more sort of knowing, um, knowing your, your tools. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, when I was in high school, we had to make a pinhole camera and and take photos that right. way. So it was just like and you just, just kind of point it over there. Yeah, and you just kind of go like, oh, I bet this will look okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, but yeah. you don't really know the what, what the frame is actually going to capture totally. Right. But I guess if you've made enough photographs, you just start to develop a sense of that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so what else do we have? So this is a picture of, by an early German photographer. It's, an, it's a picture of um, art art glass that's made in the 1850s. Okay. Um, that is, the photographs made in the 1850s, the art glass is probably from significantly earlier. Um, and so another thing that people think about at the beginning of photography is, well, what could this be for? What can it do for us that's sort of hard to do um, without it is that it can inventory and make large, large numbers of pictures of things like collections. Um, and here's a guy that's applying that to um, this sort of collection of, of craft objects. Hmm. If, you, if you look at some of the first photographs that are made by William Henry Fox Talbot, who's the sort of the British equivalent of Daguerre, so mm -hmm. the, the guy that invents photography in England, um, one of the very first things that he's doing with it is taking pictures of the collections of, of beautiful things that he owns. Um, and so that's, again, it's there from the very beginning. And here's someone sort of carrying that out 10 years later in, in the world. Um, so this is a collection of, of craft objects, craft productions that the, the owner or the person that sort of commissioned this project is trying to get information about these objects out into the world to sort of raise the level of craft in the, in the sort of the age of industry. Okay. So it's in the 1850s. So it's like working against mechanization and the sort of lowering levels of, of what people are capable of doing with their hands, mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating if you think about it's photography, a machine <laughs> that's allowing him to get that information out there. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, again, the function of it is to document these objects, but it's beautiful. Yeah. The way that the, the way that the light plays through the glass, it's really beautiful. And he doesn't arrange them in a haphazard way. The photographer, right They're they're quite artfully arranged. They, they sort of touch and overlap in a way that makes all these wonderful things happen with light. Um, and people sometimes have looked at these and thought, yeah, this is made in the 1850s, but you could look at sort of like 20th century modernist photography where people are like refracting light through crystals and, and you know, glass and reflections is very important and think, oh, they were thinking about that in 1850, which is pretty neat. Yeah, you, uh, I, when you first opened this, I could tell that they were definitely... I wasn't exactly sure on the intention of mm -hmm. it because they're very obviously arranged, but then I was also thinking they weren't arranged like, I don't know, you would maybe compose like a still life or something mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. way. It's a hybrid. It's in between. Yeah. yeah. It's both. Yeah. And the way, and when you're talking about like kind of 20th century photography, having a connection to that, I could definitely see that just in the way that like that it's so flat and geometric as right. well in the way that they, these shapes are kind of overlapping and combining these mm -hmm. new shapes. It's right. really interesting. Yeah. yeah, if you're really just thinking about documenting something, you're probably not going to put other things in front of it. Right, you know? yeah. 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 <laughs> so it but is... by doing that, you get this amazing interplay between different glass objects and how light moves through one of them and then two of them and three of them at the same time. And it's yeah. really pretty beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely gorgeous. All right, so what else do you got? Well, I thought we might lighten it up a little bit <laughs> picture of a dog oh okay yeah you, you you're playing you're playing you're tugging on my heart strings yeah. with this one you know yeah <laughs> i'm a dog lover yeah so it's a picture a little um quite small albumin print photographs so a 19th century um print that you know i guess 
a sort of common way to describe it was that it would be that it's a little bit sepia toned. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very, very pretty print of a small dog curled up on a, a sort of burlap dog bed. Yeah. Um, and it's trimmed down so that you're just, first of all, it's, it's a close, a close taken at very close range and it's sort of trimmed down so that you feel very intimately involved with this little sleeping dog. Yeah. Um, you're kind of right down at his level. Um, you can, you can sort of see the whiskers on his nose and the, the, the photograph is printed so that you almost feel like you could touch him. Yeah. You know, he would be soft and the burlap sack would be rough and the floor would have a certain smell and texture and it would sound a certain way if you slid your feet over it it's sort of like an old beat up wooden floor yeah yeah um so it's a you know it's a again you know it's a picture that is a picture of what it's of but it's also this whole emotional and tactile experience that you have when you when you see this picture and there's that mm -hmm. um, and then there's the whole history of what it is as uh, you know where it comes from historically and and what it what it shows and just to kind of fill some of that, some of that in, it's by um, a photographer called Edmond Lebel, who's um, a Frenchman who is actually a, he's a paint originally was a painter in in the eighteen sixties, and with a bunch of his painter friends goes to Italy and sort of learns how to be a painter. And when they're there in Italy, a bunch of them take up photography because of um, firstly because of the way that they think it can be useful to them as painters. Mm -hmm. So you know you can photograph you know, people holding a pose and they will hold that pose in the photograph forever, not for the 10 minutes until right. they need to like, you know, sneeze or whatever. Um, so as a painter, that's pretty useful. Um, but so a lot of painters do this in the 19th century, that they're interested in photography for, for how it can feed their painting practice, but also because they're artists, they're interested in photography for, mm -hmm. the, for the sake of making beautiful pictures with the camera. Um, and this is one of those moments when the two kind of overlap um, you know, maybe he's photographing, it turns out through research, I'm pretty sure this is his dog. It's mm -hmm. the artist's dog. Um, maybe he's photographing the dog because he wants to paint that later. Or maybe he's working, you know, this is in the studio and he's working on a canvas and his beloved dog is sleeping next to him. And he thinks, I want to photograph this. It's beautiful, um, you know, for memory or for just the beauty of the image. The extra wonderful thing about this particular picture is through the wonders of research <laughs> i actually know i think i know this dog's name oh yeah yeah the dog's name is toto oh <laughs> um and i'm pretty sure we have a letter from this artist who he, he writes from rome back to paris um during the paris commune um so when paris is really you know overflowing with violence and it's sort of a dangerous time to be in paris and he had left his dog in his studio in paris mm -hmm. and he writes back to an associate in paris and basically says i really hope toto is safe um and sort of because of the way that lines up with some other historical events that yeah. we know about his life. I'm pretty sure that this is Toto that we're looking at. So a dog that he definitely loved, um, which makes it all the nicer. As yeah. a photograph. I love the way the dog just kind of completes this shape of this sort of pillow he's laying mm -hmm. on to the way it's kind of this, uh, it was like a leaf shape. And then, you know, the dog's kind of created the divot, but then it's sort of just perfectly he's like sort of the same color of right. it too so yeah. he's just kind of completing it yes in there. it's very beautiful it is it's there's something so sweet about it but not in a you know overly sentimental or sacred no, no. it's a very kind of earnestly beautiful yeah um, yeah quiet not, sort of unlike um if you think of you know a picture from the 1860s you might not think of you know a, a quiet sort of um unposed moment of just real emotional connection yeah and it's like the 
it's it's the easiest time to take a picture of a dog because they're <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're not moving still yeah um, so I've got know. lots of pictures of my dog sleeping yes. you know they're standing still yeah. <laughs> um, kids are the same way yeah. yeah although it's sometimes frowned upon to take pictures of sleeping children <laughs> why is that it's like in... it's a little creepy yeah let's be honest <laughs> what's this one up here this is by the same um, oh, photographer okay. of the glass just a, a different set these are very light sensitive there's um early salted paper prints so if i exhibited one for you know a certain number of weeks i would want to rest it for and then years put out the and other then one have the other one to to show yeah yeah, yeah the other one is a, is a little more i guess lines up more with like what you said its intention is i wouldn't be too surprised about that just because it doesn't have quite the crazy overlapping and stuff but it's still yeah very very nice image that mm -hmm. you know you would it does almost feel like i wouldn't necessarily go oh this is obviously just like a cataloging or something you know yeah it feels... no it's way too beautiful for that the way he's yeah. handling the light and where you can feel the volume of the glass sort of yeah. going around the corner and the way it sort of recedes into total shadow yeah 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 very, both are really great. Well, thank you so much for sharing these with me today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure always to show them and get them out. And I, I mentioned um, at some point earlier, but I'll say again as we sort of finish looking at these. Yeah. The most recent thing I acquired is by a black South African female photographer working, um, making photographs now mm -hmm. in South Africa about the LGBTQI community in South Africa. So we're, we're like from the beginning right. to <laughs> yesterday, very different set of issues. Yeah. But we do it all yeah yeah and we'll be and we'll definitely be seeing that piece coming up soon right yes yeah, so that's, that's awesome we hope we're yeah relatively certain it's going to be out in january so. <laughs> yeah don't don't come at us with pitchforks and uh i'm as certain as i can be about these things right that yeah it'll be out on view on january. <laughs> things change sometimes but yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much nathaniel yeah thanks Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Albrecht Dürer, The Age of Reformation and Renaissance, Iris von Erpen, Transforming Fashion, Anna England, Kinship, and William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance. Join us on November 30th at 7 p.m. for In Conversation, Art and Fashion. Cynthia Omneus, Chief Curator and Curator of Fashion, Arts and Textiles, will be chatting with special guests to discuss how these two worlds overlap and affect each other. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and even join our Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. Hey! We want to learn about you, so please take our very quick listener survey. Visit bit.ly slash survey, and that's with a capital A, P, and S, and take a very quick survey about yourself. You can also find the link on our website. Go to Events and Programs, and then scroll down to Art Palace Podcast. You can also see images of some of the photographs that Nathaniel and I talked about today on this page. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.